Welcome to Black Health Matters. I'm Daryl Armistead, your host. This episode is a Zoom recording of Howard University group session led by Dr. Clive Callender. That's what we've had. We've a number of presentations that we haven't really looked at. Hold on. Well, I think this is one of the... Hold on, Doc. There we go. This is one of the easiest things to deal with because, uh, oh, you went past it quickly. But anyway, it's just a new virus that uh, we don't know what it's going to do. Uh, but it has caused paralysis. But this is something that uh, they talk about Navage and daily irrigations for people who have sinus problems. Uh, but they also are suggesting that this may reduce uh, hospitalizations and and deaths uh, by uh, having mild saline irrigations twice a day. I don't know any people who have done this for their sinus treatment, but uh, it's something that uh, uh, may be of value to those who, uh, who are interested. Uh, it's uh, uh, nasal, nasal uh, irrigations are something that uh, are helpful for people who have sinus problems. Any of you involved with uh, nasal irrigation for your sinuses? I've done this in the past. Uh, it's called using a neti pot. That's spelled N-E-T-I. And uh, you just take warm water, half teaspoon of salt, and uh, irrigate your sinuses. I do it whenever I feel some uh, congestion, and uh, you do get immediate relief. Oh. Mm -hmm. And some people have chronic uh, sinusitis, and it's it's one of the about the only way they survive it and uh, can have the symptoms relieved. Well, I guess we're in a fortunate group to don't have too many people who have sinusitis. So. Oh, uh, if you do it. Use salt without iodine. That's hard to find these days. Most of the salt has iodine. So. Yeah, but you can get salt without iodine, and it's less irritating. Salt with iodine, if you do that nasal rinse, will be irritating. What's interesting now, we have so many ways to treat COVID. Uh, and uh, it's interesting that people are still dying from COVID uh, every oh day. Oh, Jesus. That's an interesting article that uh, points out that well, we all, we've all known that salt is not something that. Uh, uh, it's good for us people of color, uh, and uh, but still people love salt. I mean, they, you know, we have advice given by many, including Daryl, of how you can uh, use other things to make your food tasty. Still, yeah. use a lot of salt, and of course, they are suggesting that using just one gram of reducing salt consumption by one gram would. Uh, 
results in the saving of four million lives, which is uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's food for thought for those who uh, still use salt. I don't know. Uh, oh my goodness! We know that uh, people of color, uh, because of uh, what happened to us in the uh, transportation. Uh, those people who uh, could survive uh, actually uh, or became salt intolerant, relatively speaking. And this is attributed to why we, one of the reasons why we have so much hypertension. But uh, uh, this is suggesting that uh, cutting back on the salt just like cutting back on sugar, uh, is uh, something that is very healthy. How many of you still use salt? I, I do. <laughs> many people still use salt. They just don't use as much of it. Many just don't use salt in the, no, the food. That they, they, have, they don't add salt to their food. Right. They, they <laughs> cooking, but they don't use it as food, to say. Yeah, I try to stay away from it, and uh, especially shaking salt on your food. Right. That's what I really try to stay Good away from. Yeah. I salt to cook, but never add to it. I uh, see Elizabeth put something up with Mrs. Dash, and I do use that sometimes. So all substitutes are very helpful, of course. They do, possess, they do possess potassium, and so those patients with renal failure, it's a, maybe a, a double-edged sword. sword. Yeah, and I think we mentioned before that a good salt substitute is lemon. It gives flavor without the sodium, and oh. if you want more flavor, you can zest the lemon. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. This is an article that uh, is kind of frightening. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty true and uh, it's particularly problematic for, uh, but the, the thing that was surprising to me, is, stop right here for a minute, is that mental health conditions were the top underlying cause, which was surprising to me. Uh, the other figures we're aware of, but uh, the fact that the postpartum psychosis and other things are responsible for so many deaths was uh, surprising to me. Uh, of course, the fact that Black women and Native American women are more likely to die than others is, is well known. Uh, but the uh, fact that a lot of it is related to postpartum psychosis and other mental health issues, uh, which results in suicide or overdose and those kinds of things. It's something that we haven't paid much attention to. They point out these occur within a week after delivery. Uh, and uh, the, uh, one of the problems is that the degree to which it affects the African-American population is pretty well known. The, the extent to which it affects the Native American population is not as well known, uh, but it's uh, an issue that uh, is something that is frightening because uh, the Native Americans is their country, but they, uh, 
have been treated so poorly that uh, uh, people don't even recognize how how their health has been uh, completely neglected. In addition to stealing their land and killing them, we don't even take care of them. And this is talks about the American Indian and Alaskan Native yeah. who are ignored uh, for the most part. So Let's say that 90% of them are, are preventable. It's a serious uh, allegation that uh, we should take very seriously and uh, recognize that uh, here in the United States, we have some of the worst maternal mortality rates in the world. Oh my gosh. Ooh. And to think that we have a country that spends so much money on healthcare, but still. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't believe this. Yes, and it's still going on. Yeah. And of oh. course, one of the problems is that it's important that you get, you get taken care of, not when you're ready to deliver, but many months before you deliver. So as soon as you get pregnant, it's wise to start having obstetrical yeah. care so that your baby's healthy and so are you. Yeah. But this is a cause attention to one of our biggest problems. And of course, the District of Columbia is well known to have, uh, have had made efforts to try to change this, but we still are lagging far behind. That's sad. Oh, my gosh. We're talking about uh, uh, deaths that are avoidable. We're talking again also about sudden cardiac uh, deaths in young people is avoidable. Oh. Uh, this means that uh, if people had uh, simple tests like EKGs, and, uh, and everybody who has a history of heart disease, that you could make the diagnosis early and prevent a lot of these young people dying from sudden death. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a condition where the heart muscles thicken. And this is why many of the athletes uh, played basketball and other sports dropped dead on the court uh, because they had this and nobody knew it. And so that's why uh, most athletes now, they're they have a EKG and other things to ultrasounds and other things to find out whether or not they have a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. EKG very helpful the diagnosis. And once the diagnosis is made, then given medical care. And also uh, advised to to uh, perhaps some cases have an implantable defibrillator. I'm static. Yeah, right. So if you'd go on mute. Uh, so that's, this is why it's important for you children and grandchildren uh, to be uh, tested before they decide 
become athletes uh, uh, and whether or not if there's any heart disease in the family it's a good idea for them to have uh, uh, EKGs to make the diagnosis. Dr. Callender, I had a neighbor that had that uh, condition. It's Marfan. No, is Marfan that... is different. Right. Marfan is the condition uh, which you have uh, uh, long limbs and, and you have cardiac problems. You have many. Uh, but yeah, Marfan is a special condition, which is. They seven... never knew he had it till he was 19 oh, in college. And they said you should have known because of the way his fingers and hands look. That's correct. Yeah, right. But, but um, he didn't grow up with his family. He was an adopted child. Oh, I see. Oh. So nobody knew the history. He, he passed away. He was a brilliant scholar. Oh. Just oh. was doing a pickup game at college. Oh, and dropped in. Wow, yeah. Sad. Well, it's good to know about it. So make sure your children and grandchildren uh, uh, get uh, EKGs to find out whether they have this this lethal condition, which is treatable. Uh, this is another article that talks about the fact that uh, we're finding the poliovirus in uh, areas that are not supposed to find it because polio is thought was to be eliminated. And uh, so uh, this presumes that everybody's been vaccinated. Uh, and, uh, this, of course, uh, is something that uh, is preventable. And so we, wherever we find it in the water, it needs to be have people tested to make sure that they've had the virus, have been vaccinated. If not, they need to be vaccinated. Dr. Callender, quick question. Um, when I was in elementary school, that was probably uh, uh, 50s. Um, I think I got my polio vaccine on a sugar cube. Was that done then? Was that? Done? Yeah. Okay. It was oral. Yeah. oral. And, uh, it's supposed to be a life, long-lasting life uh, uh, vaccine. So if you've been vaccinated, it's not an issue, but if you haven't been vaccinated, it's an issue. I remember that years ago. 90% and still not 100%. So mm -hmm. people are vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that uh, we've presumed that everybody's vaccinated, but that is not actually the case. 90% is still not 100%. And you can see in some areas, the vaccine for measles is as low as 60%. It's awful. And it's related to the, the vaccine uh, uh, resistance that we all know about that was emphasized during the uh, coronavirus situation. People refuse to be vaccinated for reasons that are good. I mean, some had good reasons, some had 
just misinformation. There's another interesting article about uh, uh, the fact that uh, we actually performed the one million transplant uh, September the 9th, I think it was. Uh, and uh, they, were, they were all golfing and everything with each other. We did the first transplant in 1954. And uh, so now, a few years later, we are. Uh, we performed a one million transplant. Everybody else was going muted or help. Would you go on mute, please? Yeah, Maya, can you go on mute? Well, anyway, uh, this is what, what is uh, is interesting is that in spite of all of the uh, advances. We still have mistakes, and uh, uh, this points out mistakes. When you think about the fact that we've done a million transplants, the number of mistakes are very infrequent and are addressed. But that doesn't help you if you died because you got uh, an infection that was transmitted by a person who donated it, or you got cancer from a donor with cancer. So uh, there's still having a lot of issues trying to make uh, the transplant program as as good as it can be. So it's not perfect. It has failures, but it's been doing an incredible job. I think this is the first country in the world to have performed one billion transplants. Oh, wow. Any mm. comments or questions? <clears throat> Many things are happening nowadays. Uh, many uh, things uh, we're, we're using different ways of preservation of organs. Yeah, using, I went to the one that's up in Glover Park. So we're using warm, uh, warmed organs rather than cold organs. And uh, we're also being able to improve organs. Uh, with the warm preservation that we couldn't improve with the cold preservation. So we're making a lot of steps, but still, remember, we had made a comment earlier that uh, uh, that the UNO you know, system was called uh, demonstrably inequitable, particularly as it raced, as it relates to the African So this is something that we have to keep in mind. It's something we're working on. It's not perfect yet, but it, it still has accomplished very much. This is a nice story about a man who uh, lost all that weight to, uh, to be eligible to donate, deliver to his dad. You can see uh, how big he was there. 478 pounds when he graduated high school. And he couldn't be a donor. Uh, and uh, so he made an appointment and had a bariatric surgery. And as a consequence, he was able to uh, get down to the point where he could be a donor. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and as you know, uh, the liver, you can take part of the liver out 
successfully and the liver will regrow itself. So, so uh, as a consequence of the bariatric uh, surgery, he was able to donate the liver to his. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Very nice. So it's a great, it's quite a miracle to see this kind of thing. So, well, these are some of the good things that are happening yeah. as a consequence of uh, being able to have successful liver transplants. Of course, uh, our role model, of course, is John Tatum, who was oh, yeah. in his 29th year after having a liver transplant. So, and I don't know, is Kevin on today? I know Kevin is uh, being oh, he's, he's not. He's not here today. He's been worked up in, uh, in October. We're going to have a presentation by liver, a doctor who's a liver transplant surgeon who will be talking about uh, uh, how you can get a liver transplant. Now, this is a subject that we don't talk enough about, uh, oral health. Unhealthy mm -hmm. gums not only produce infection, but they also increase the likelihood of dementia. Uh, oh this is something that uh, we haven't talked about before. We know that it causes infection and leads to heart disease and other things, Ooh. but there hasn't been data that identifies it as an actual cause of uh, dementia. And, uh, what this article is saying is that it's it's uh, data suggesting that it is related to dementia. Of course, uh, uh, we really aren't positive about uh, what causes the Alzheimer's dementia, but there's so many contributing causes to dementia. Now we add to this parental disease. Question is how often do you go to your dentist and uh, how often do you do total appropriate uh, uh, dental care? How many people floss? How many people uh, do not floss? How many people have unchecked parental disease? <clears throat> We still don't know everything there is to know about Alzheimer's, but uh, in our ignorance, we try to do everything we can to try and prevent it from occurring. The mouth is one area that prior to this study hadn't been looked at as a possible cause for Alzheimer's. Now, this is an article that was kind of scary a bit because it's it said that if you're over 65 and you get COVID, uh, the risk of Alzheimer's was markedly increased, particularly in women. Uh, and uh, since COVID has been so prevalent and around so much, this has been a cause of concern for people who are older than 65. And so uh, all this says is that you have an increased risk for it. It doesn't say that uh, we know for sure, but we 
have identified that in people over 65 uh, who had no prior diagnosis after they had the COVID, uh, they, the risk was doubled. Now, this is, uh, may or may not be, it's a so association. I think this statement is very important. Association, not causation. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to get it, but it just means that there's an association. So, uh, but anyway, it's it's food for thought. Uh, uh, of course, the only thing we can do is try to do what we can to prevent getting it. If you get it, to get it treated as early as possible. I thought this was a good uh, thing to include, even though it's not uh, available yet. Thus, the FDA has not approved it. <clears throat> but there's a, this is the first study of its type that uh, demonstrates that uh, this drug can not only treat, <clears throat> but prevent Alzheimer's disease. Uh, now, this is uh, the first drug that has been shown to do anything for Alzheimer's disease. And so this is an oral agent. And... Uh, it is working its way through the phase one, phase two. It's in uh, phase two, uh, in patients with early Alzheimer's disease. And so it is likely that uh, within a couple of years, a year or so, we'll have it available. Uh, what has to happen, of course, has to go through phase three. And uh, uh, after that, it will be, uh, likely FDA approved. So this is uh, good news. We haven't had any drug that was effective at treating or delaying the onset of, of uh, Alzheimer's disease before this. So this is good news. It also suggests that maybe uh, we were right about what was causing Alzheimer's disease uh, because it looks like this drug clears the amyloid bodies. And uh, this then results in reducing the brain edema and also in uh, demonstrated cognitive gains as well as proved by memory tests and other things. So, so this is something that uh, finally having some, some re results of all the research that's being done on Alzheimer's. And so it looks like within the next year or so, we have perhaps that drug available to make a difference. One of the things, so Dr. Count, uh, Dr. Count, I have a question. The um, on this particular article, the, the you know I'm not able to read too fast on this, but want to make sure. It, like you get Alzheimer's, and they would then give you this drug. To, does that slow it down? Yes. Or um, okay, so it would slow down the progression of it after you get it. But um, also, if I'm reading this thing right, you could potentially take it ahead of time if you are in one of the ask at risk categories and it might um, hold off the onset. Am I, am I following this right? That's correct. And uh, if you're not on our list to receive these articles, uh, yeah. let uh, uh, Ms. Buchanan know and you can get this article as well. But yes, All right. uh, you, you, your conclusions are absolutely correct. And uh, this is the first okay. That has been done to show either of those things, that there's been improvement or that it could prevent it. So uh, yes, this is remarkable breakthrough 
uh, that uh, uh, has gotten through to phase two, which yeah. means that it's uh, pretty close to at the point where it will be uh, FDA uh, approved, probably in a year or so. All right, thanks. But your conclusions were absolutely correct. Now, this is uh, any other questions on that? Otherwise, this is something else that is brand new. <laughs> uh, because of the mental health issues becoming so much to the forefront, <clears throat> the Preventive Services Task Force, for the first time, requested the adults over under six, adults between 19 and 64 be screened for anxiety. And what this is saying is that anxiety and mental health issues have become such a problem that uh, uh, we need to have screening and those people who are screened who have these problems should get treatment for it. Uh, and, and this is something that has not been done before. Of course, people with great anxiety are candidates for suicide others, and depression. And so this is the first time that it has gotten to the point where we've got sufficient evidence uh, that uh, those people under 65 uh, need to uh, be screened for anxiety. Essentially, they couldn't find evidence that those over 65 uh, needed it, but certainly those under 65. Any thoughts or comments about this remarkable uh, article? We had talked before about uh, the fact that uh, uh, since COVID, uh, mental health issues have uh, escalated. And this is another example that uh, uh, they found that 25% of the population is uh, suffering from serious anxiety. Uh, so, hmm. and we, we recognize that the, pandemic would cause uh, an epidemic of mental health issues. But this is one of the first uh, evidences of it that uh, uh, it's really here. And so uh, some of the comments that President Biden made relative to uh, getting our mental health system in better shape become even more important. This is an article that talks about why the Flu vaccine is more important this year than ever before. <laughs> of course, this is a, uh, this is saying it at a time when you can do something about it. Uh, we know that uh, the flu has uh, been resulting in deaths every year. Uh, this was decreased uh, because of the pandemic. But there was a concern that while last year the flu uh, deaths decreased. Uh, this year is, is, is that the fear is that the, uh, re there will be a rebound. And uh, the flu vaccination, uh, I, I, you know, it's interesting, when should you take the flu shot? And uh, I know that my doctor recommended that you wait until October because the flu shot works for about six months. And the earlier you take it, 
the sooner it'll expire so that uh, he recommended that you take the flu shot in October rather than in September. Uh, but the flu, the flu actually begins, the flu season begins in November and lasts until probably March, April. <laughs> and so uh, it's important to get a, a flu shot. Uh, I remember, I think Daryl had pointed out that uh, uh, there were so many deaths from flu before all of this began. And we sometimes didn't realize that the flu was killing so many people, but it has always been. Uh, and so uh, it's really important now that we've got the double whammy here, COVID and the flu, uh, that uh, uh, you get your flu shot. Dr. Callender? Do you think people have been persuaded to get the flu shot more since we've had COVID? Because before COVID, there were a lot of people that were apprehensive or didn't want to take the flu shot because it was going around that if you took the flu shot, you would get the flu. Uh, I, I It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I have no idea, although that I think the fact that 70%, 90% of annual flu deaths are in people over 65 and in people who are not vaccinated is something that uh, uh, people should take very seriously, uh, especially in the, 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 the more vulnerable group. Uh, but I don't know whether they're going to be wise enough to recognize that uh, it's even more important now than ever before. So I don't know the answer to your questions. Time will have to tell. I'm hoping that uh, uh, this will be the case, but as you know, there are some people who really hate vaccinations and they will refuse. They'd rather die than be vaccinated. So, so I don't know the answer to your question. Dr. Cowan. Yes. Do you recommend uh, seniors to get the monkeypox? No, unless you are uh, having sex with men who have sex with men, mm -hmm. uh, I would uh, recommend against it. If you're having sex with men who have sex with men, yes. Or if you're a man who has sex with men, yes. But other than that, I would say no. I asked that because a doctor said that he was um, um, elderly and his immune system was um, compromised and he got it. Well, I think if your immune system is compromised, uh, I think that's a reason to think about it, particularly if you are exposed to people who are, for example, if you're a healthcare provider and you work with people who have, have the disease because the disease is transmitted by touching. And so if you yeah. work with people who have the disease uh, as your health provider, then that, that's a, another story. Uh, but if you're not a health provider and uh, you don't, uh, you're not involved with people who have sex with men and you don't, uh, you don't have, you're not exposed to the lesions of monkeypox then I would advise against it. Patient came here and said that he had monkeypox. Who did? And a patient. Oh. That getting ready to draw blood on. And 
I walked out the room. Yeah, well, I, I would think that if you have uh, immune, uh, if you're on immunosuppressive drugs uh, and you're exposed to somebody with monkeypox, then that's a, that's a reason to uh, uh, okay. take the vaccine. In one of the articles we had last week, uh, the, the deaths, there were two deaths uh, related to monkeypox. The, the, the people that got it uh, had Im immunosuppression and uh, that's how they died from it. Right, right. <clears throat> now, it's interesting, the monkeypox vaccine required two shots, uh, one 28 weeks after the other. Dr. Callender, can I back up to the flu shot for a minute? Okay. Um, you are, when you're counting flu, flu deaths, uh, deaths because of flu, um, are they counting the people who didn't take the vaccine along with those who did? Yes. Yeah, because the... Most people who die from the flu are people who are in uh, the over 65 age group or people who didn't get vaccinated. So the death rate is higher in those people who didn't get vaccinated or people who, yeah, or people who are over, uh, immunosuppressed. Yeah. Does that answer your question or not? Maybe I didn't understand your question. Yeah, it wasn't about immunosuppressant. It was just about uh, the flu deaths and how yes. many died because they didn't take it. Most of the deaths were in those people who did not take the flu vaccine. Any other questions about the vaccines? Because we're in the fall season, and that's just the season where vaccines play a major role in preserving your health. Pneumonia vaccine as well. So, uh, this is an interesting article that talks about how daily breath training uh, can work as well as medicine to reduce high blood pressure. Uh, this is an article that looks at uh, population, which uh, I'm not sure, he didn't identify the ethnicity of, of the population, but uh, he found that doing 30 breaths per day for six weeks lowered the blood pressure by about nine millimeters. And uh, this is what would be expected with conventional aerobic exercise, such as walking, running, or cycling. So, uh, so exercise, once again, is something that is healthy, although if you do those things and your blood pressure is not normalized, then you need to do whatever it takes to get your blood pressure normalized. One of the problems we're having is uh, Joyce and many others in the, who do the screening find is that many of the patients who have high blood pressure people who know they have high blood pressure and aren't taking their medications properly. And so it's also important that you take your blood pressure medicine as it's ordered so that uh, uh, you actually have a normal blood pressure. 
because if you still have a abnormal blood pressure and you're taking blood pressure medicine, then you're not taking enough blood pressure medicine. And so this is an important aspect of it that uh, we should be taking our blood pressure medicine if you have it, and you should be exercising as well. Those things together, uh, along with the uh, breathing, would be effective in uh, uh, good health. Now, those who do meditation, do yoga, and all of those things uh, uh, will do the breathing anyway. Uh, but those who don't wouldn't recognize the advantage. So it's, a, it's something that works. Uh, Dr. Counter, woodwind players also use, and, and vocalists use diaphragmatic breathing as well. So music helps. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now this is a, in a way a positive take on the COVID variants. <laughs> the one thing that has made this epidemic so long lasting is the fact that we keep getting new variants. What is noticed recently is that uh, the variants have decreased in their frequency. Uh, and uh, uh, the stagnation of the variants is a good sign that maybe we may, we may be approaching the end of the pandemic. I know that the president said the pandemic is over, uh, but in spite of what he said, the number of people who get new infection, the number of people who die is still very high. And so, but the fact that the variants have plateaued over the last five weeks is a, gives us hope that maybe he's right, that the pandemic is, is on its way out. Um, Dr. Callender, are there still parts in this? Always be wrong. I'm, go ahead, Mr. Jordan. I'm sorry. Right. Um, are there still parts in this world where the pandemic is not over? And, you know, we're getting a lot of our inoculations going on. That's great. But in other countries, they still have some pretty stiff um, regulations and restrictions. Um, that's still true because the um, pandemic is still very real in other places, not the U.S., correct? Excellent point. Excellent point. And one of the concerns that, that is brought up by uh, this pandemic is the, the global inequities that exist uh, in other parts of the world. Uh, and the fact that uh, it's, it is kind of unethical in the way we look at it, in the sense that we have developed countries that have access to the vaccine and developing countries that don't have access to it. And we should not rest until uh, all of the countries have access to the vaccine, which as you point out, is not the case. And, and so yeah. until that happens, I think we, we, we can't sleep well at night understanding that uh, there are developing countries that still don't have access to the vaccine like we do. All right, thank you.
This is an article that I thought was good because so many people have questions about the Omicron boosters and uh, who's eligible first. Uh, and uh, all those over 18, if they've already received a primary uh, vaccine or a booster at least, at least two months before. And that's the issue you have to keep in mind uh, uh, that, uh, that ideally, you know, if, if you, at the end of six months, and many uh, believe that the virus isn't as protective as it was uh, at uh, uh, one to two months, but at the end of six months, it's less protective. And so if you received a primary vaccine or booster at least two months before, then you're eligible for the new bivalent boosters that, uh, protect against the BA.4 and BA.5 strains, which is affecting 90% of the American population. Now, children under 12 are not approved. Uh, and that's because the tests in those people is not, has not uh, been done. And so, now, of course, those who uh, are under five, Five years again are not eligible as well, but I'm saying that the 12 says it all. Uh, but uh, it is hoped that by October that the FDA authorization will occur. How do they differ from the previous shots? Those of us who have gotten the boosters already uh, uh, will know that the uh, side effects are the same, uh, perhaps a little less, but. Uh, uh, the fact that it is addressing the BA.4 and 0.5 makes your immune system better able to address the new variants, which the other uh, strain, the other vaccine did not. Are there any new risks? Uh, and the answer is no, they didn't see any new risks. Uh, do I need a new shots if I've already had past boosters or even had COVID? Answer is yes. Uh, because the bivalent Omicron shot gives you that broader immunity. There's no question if you, if you haven't had uh, uh, been vaccinated at all, then of course you need to be the primary vaccine. But uh, if you had the primary vaccine, then the booster. How long should I wait from the time of my last shot before getting a new booster? And uh, uh, I think it's pretty clear that uh, uh, between four to six months is a good time to get a booster. Although if you're three months, it's okay too. <laughs> then uh, this, this question, uh, what have I recently had COVID, there's no, there's no room. Uh, so, although, again, you might want to wait uh, eight weeks, but we don't really know. If I never got the original, do I need to get those shots first? Uh, and the answer, as we mentioned before, the primary vaccine uh, is necessary. This is the booster. But if you're not getting the primary, then it's not a booster. You need to get the primary first before you get the booster.
do do the entire replace the other boosters? And the answer is yes. Uh, uh, these are the boosters that are appropriate. Now this is interesting. This is what if I receive the DNA vaccine? Uh, uh, does, should I still get an RNA booster? The answer is you you can mix and match. So if you got the DNA, you can get the RNA as well. So and how effective are the new boosters? Uh, this is interesting because they don't have the effectiveness data yet. Uh, but uh, they are believed to offer greater protection. And this is one of the questions that many people had was that uh, uh, have they done studies to prove how effective this bivalent vaccines have? And the question answer is they haven't completed those studies. Uh, and, but they knew, do know that we're talking about it being a booster. So it's boosting the already good effects of the vaccines. How long will the boost protection last? Uh, that's a question that we don't know the answer to. Uh, and it's, it's got, some are thinking that it will last for a year, some think, I still think it's gonna last six months. Time will tell, they have to do more studies and share the results before we actually know the answer. Now, here's the other question that people ask, uh, all the time. Is it okay to get a flu shot and a COVID booster at the same time? And the answer is yes, but my advice to you is to, to get your flu shot no earlier than October. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, you can get the COVID and the flu shot at the same time, if you like. I just think getting it, the flu shot early rather than later is not always a good case for people who have weakened immune systems or have chronic health conditions. Now here's the, one of the last questions. Will a new booster mean I can stop wearing a mask, social distancing, and avoiding crowded spaces, taking other precautions to avoid COVID? And the, the, the answer with exclamation point is no. Uh, that, uh, it's, it's common sense and wisdom is still expected. And uh, so while you got a new booster, keep in mind that uh, uh, with the vaccine, uh, it doesn't totally eliminate you getting an infection. It, it eliminates the likelihood of you requiring hospitalization or death, but it doesn't prevent you from getting an infection. So, uh, it's wise to use common sense and, and use uh, uh, your mask and distancing and avoiding, uh, uh, avoiding the infection to the extent you can. And you look at this number, 67,000 new cases and nearly 320 deaths each day. So uh, while uh, the president means well, uh, it's hard to say that the pandemic is over. Any other questions or comments? Anything that they didn't cover in the Q&A? Or any questions you have? Because this, these are questions that most people are asking about uh, the 
new booster. And we included this because I thought it would help answer many of the questions you might have. However, there's no questions, we can move on. Uh, and then, of course, just about everybody's recommending the updated boosters for those people who are over the over 12. Now, the Moderna and uh, other, uh, I guess the Moderna, I believe, has been FDA approved now. Now that it's all this has been FDA approved, uh, uh, this is what is necessary to help us to make it through the fall season. <laughs> uh, well, the president, uh, maybe to, to, to the president, he feels it's over and there. There are a lot of different opinions about it. Some people say it's now endemic, and so it's not pandemic. Uh, and, uh, I think uh, Mr. Jordan's point about uh, the fact that it's it's over, maybe over for us, but it's not over for the rest of the world. It's something to keep in mind. And we certainly are better off than we were two and a half years ago. <laughs> Yeah, but everybody else kind of would disagree with Biden's comments. Uh, well, well, some would, would uh, articulate that it's endemic now in the United States and not pandemic. But, but the fact that there's so many people dying every day suggests that uh, uh, we're in the middle of a battle. That, that's, that's, that's where I, I, that's where I would look at it. <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't think you're gonna find too many people that will uh, agree with the president, although. And they, they point at that point that Mr. Jordan brought up that uh, people that uh, other places don't have the virus, they're dying. So don't tell me that the pandemic is over. So let's wait and see. I think it's, I think the president is uh, maybe the Lone Ranger on this, but he, there are others who, who probably feel that it's endemic, it's endemic now. And that's technical, calling it an endemic in the United States rather than pandemic. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and if you don't, haven't received these articles, you should uh, get them there. Because uh, even when we have presentations, we still pass around these articles, which, uh, uh, which we have all looked at and felt that they're good for the group to look at and evaluate. And here's, here's the issue that uh, uh, the president may be talking about the United States, but the rest of the world is uh, 
still has a problem. And if the uh, if it's a pandemic anywhere, it's a pandemic everywhere. Is one way of looking at it, as has been already stated. And I think this is uh, important that uh, debating that is uh, not the issue. Focus on eliminating the uh, number of deaths and hospitalization that occurs in consequence. So, and they say, yes, it's a global issue. That's right. Yeah. And I think uh, Joe should uh, think a lot more and speak less. Means well. He lost ground on this one. Yeah, especially when you consider he got it, the rebound, rebound, his wife got a rebound. And then looking at the um, at the, the Queen's funeral from earlier this week, all those people came from all over the world. And then they got to go home. And, you know, it's just. Did you see a mask anywhere? Uh, no. No, <laughs> I didn't see the mask anywhere. No, <laughs> no. And so you know, so this this is where my mind is. You know, I saw him on sixty minutes. I'm thinking what? And then you know, watching the funeral on Monday, and everybody's there, and um, I didn't see any masks. Yeah, it's a, it's, I, it was scary to me because your your evaluation is quite on target. Mm hmm. Also, Dr. Callender, when I was in Israel, I didn't see a single person wearing a mask. Only the hospitals, everybody has to wear a mask there. Yeah. I was Israel is a developed country, so. Uh, but yeah. Egypt also the same way. Nobody was wearing a mask. Really? Nobody, yeah. Mm. But I was waiting. <laughs> no major. Okay. Right. Well, this is a new virus, and, uh, and we all know that uh, that uh, the big oh, one is coming, according to the scripture. The ultimate plague is coming. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, this this one is. Uh, uh, the extent to which this will become a problem is not known yet. There's just an outbreak in the state. And whether that's going to be isolated or not, we'll have to wait and see. So right now, it's not yet a concern, but it's something for us to at least be aware of. Right. Absolutely. One thing we can do, though, is to take the vaccination shots that we can take uh, to deal with uh, viruses that we know of that are already here. Yes. By the way, Mr. Jordan, have you been here before? Yeah, this is my second. This is my second visit. Oh, wonderful! So good to have you. Yeah. No, this is this is good stuff. 
I got a little bit lost last week. I ended up looking at the um, interview that 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 Daryl had um, with um, with the, you know with you, and I thought it was pretty interesting about thinking where's everybody else. And so I was in the wrong place, and then I had to leave anyway because I had, oh really I had an appointment. But it was a good interview. <laughs> so good interview. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, is this the last one, Buchanan? Yes. Dr. Callender, he's our yes. first cousin. Daryl and yes. um, Jordan. He's our first cousin. Um, oh, how about that? Yes. Wow. And as you can tell, he's a really smart guy. Uh, Runs in the family, huh? <laughs> I'm trying to keep me. up with those two. I'm trying to keep up with those two. So Yeah, Dallas tough to keep up with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, Mr. Jordan, are you on the email list? Are you getting the emails? Yes, I am. Okay, good. And so I've been getting a couple of weeks. That, that that's good. See, I, I just got a little lost last week. I'm thinking, okay, well, <laughs> I'll just jump back in this week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Any other questions about any of the articles? Okay, we'll take that off, uh, John. Any announcements, or uh, John Tatum? You want to give us an update for the group about how you're doing? Tatum. Yeah.